Welcome to the ultimate crowdsourced personal finance show. This is your Friday Roundup. You're listening to Choose FI Radio. The blueprint for financial independence lives here. If you're looking to unlock the secrets to financial independence and early retirement, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and join a community of like-minded people who are getting off the hamster wheel and taking control of their lives in the pursuit of financial independence. Choose FI, your home for financial independence online. Congratulations, you have made it to the weekend, and this is your Friday Roundup. And to help me with this, I do not have Brad here with me today. He has abandoned us to go to an all-inclusive vacation in Mexico, and I hope he's having a wonderful time. But we have Fritz, my good buddy from the Retirement Manifesto, hanging out with us today. We're going to be basically talking about this past week's episode on Monday, bringing in some of your feedback, and also doing a short segment with an AMA-style questioning for Fritz. So without... With Fritz, <laughs> crash and burn. Good morning. This is seven, it's seven o'clock in the morning, Jonathan. I hear you. I hear you. Well, welcome to the show, man. How you doing today? I'm doing great, Jonathan. I tell you what, I was uh, blown away by your big announcement on Monday, and then to be able to be kind of your guest host here in uh, Bradley's absence on the heels of such a big announcement, I'm uh, I'm honored. It's it's great to be back with you. I, I love your show, and I look forward to talking with you about your big plans. Exciting times. Yeah, this is going to be a lot of fun. Let's see. So life is moving forward at the Mendonza household. My wife finished listening to the episode on Monday. She said, ooh, I'm so excited that you're going to be putting together this binder for me. Can I help with that? Like, I would really like to get started on that. So, um, (laughs) I was going to share an idea with you. It's funny when you, when you and Brad were talking about that, I wrote a post about this for about probably five years now. I call it a love letter. And every year I, I update a love letter to my wife and it basically takes her step by step. Look, if I get hit by a bus, call your brother, pull out this letter, call this person at my work, you know, get the life insurance stuff started. And then, and then I've got all of our passwords. I update them every year because obviously you're changing passwords and stuff, right? So I've got all of our financial accounts, all of our usernames, passwords, website addresses. And when I go through the end of the year and update my net worth, it's just part of the process. Okay, I just update the love letter. She knows where it's at. We keep it, you know, outside the safe because that way, you know, it doesn't get locked in the safe and she doesn't know the password or the combination, right? So it's got the combination to the safe. It's got everything that we could think of she would need if something would happen. So when I heard you guys talking about it and, and even Bradley's like, yeah, I need to do that too. That's a huge thing that I was glad that you both talked about. So your, your wife is right. You know, that is something she's going to need if heaven forbid something would happen. So. Well, you know, I guarantee you someone right now is thinking, well, a love letter. I mean, it's financial love letter really. But in my mind, I'm actually thinking there is no greater gift than you can give to somebody because it all seems fine and dandy. Everything's working. Everything's great now. But if you pass away, I guarantee you the most stressful thing in the surviving spouse's life will be what to do with your financial life. If you can organize this and streamline them for it, then just you are going to be so set up. They are going to be so set up. And yeah, it really is a gift of love. And it's a gift of time because that, you know, it sounds great to splash it on the front page of a podcast, but it's going to take some serious time to organize this and make sure that it makes sense. So we had a couple of people post in the, in the, so we're going to put a link to your article in the show notes for that. Thanks for sharing. We're also yeah. going to put a couple of companion articles in there. J Money over at Budgets are Sexy. 
uh, wrote something on the legacy binder and there's a yep. few other similar resources. So we'll try to compile those for you guys. If you're interested, it'll be in the show notes for today's episode. Just go to choosefi.com slash zero five, four R choosefi.com slash zero five, four R. So Fritz, I know this was kind of, I mean, this episode for me, it was, it was a big deal, a very personal episode. And I'd be curious, you know, I, you knew you were coming into this show. What were your thoughts and feedback? And just generally speaking about the episode. You know, it's funny, Jonathan, I, I think about the story you told about wanting to go to South Africa and your boss was giving you a hard time and, and how, you know, the, having the FU money and that power shift that that brings. I've, I've had a lot of people that I've, you know, worked with over the years that have had similar type of situations where when you've got that leverage, employers don't expect that, you know, and it really shifts the balance. And and it's such a small amount of the population. It's basically the choose FI crowd, right? The people that are building this this independent lifestyle that have the ability to do that. So I think the the reality that you were able to say, you know what, F you, nice way, keep your bridges. Absolutely, you did it right. But that to me was was exactly what this podcast is all about. So the fact that you as the co-host of this thing are doing this in your own life, <laughs> I was I was ecstatic for you, you know, personally, yeah. but also because now the stuff you're talking about is going to be the stuff you're living in. It's just, it's just perfect. I, it, I'm really happy for you. And, and I just love that story when you told it. So I, I was high-fiving myself as I was listening to your <laughs> podcast. You know, it, was, it was great. So. I was high-fiving myself. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, no, it's, it's cool. You know, Oh, go ahead. It, I was going to say, it's funny when you said your wife was listening to the show and I, I thought you were going to say, I hope you told her before you did the show that you were quitting your job, you know? <laughs> <laughs> she uh, hates it when she finds out that sort of thing after yeah, the fact. Exactly. <laughs> uh, well, well you, one thing I do, I do think too, I think the way you did it is, you know, you said, Hey, I, I never want to, I never want to burn a bridge. You never know where the future is going to go. You know, being in the pharmacy business, you know, clearly that's a skill set that you will always have to fall back on. I'm sure there's licensing requirements, but you know what I mean? It's, it's a skill that you've got. And to keep that reputation intact as you left the way you did, great, great way to handle it. So I, I, I give you kudos for that. I think you handled it well. Thank you. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, this show has been happening in real time. I mean, if you think about it, the first episode to the show, to the audience that's listening to this right now and is all caught up. So it's, you know, it's December 19th. This is going to go out in just a couple of days. The first episode of the show is released in January of this year. So this year, we've been exploring all these ideas and concepts, drawdown strategy, FU money, capital gains harvesting, starting a business, tax optimization. It's just been surreal that not only have we been able to explore our guest ideas, but in many cases, I've been listening to it, I've been taking it in, and then I've been implementing it. And the stuff just works, right? I mean, if you yeah. if you follow the steps, if you, if you cut the cost of your life, you don't have all this consumer debt hanging over your head. What you have baked in is flexibility. Now, I'm not telling you that you need to live on $20,000 a year. If your life, if, if what feels good and what you value and, and kind of your sweet spot is 40 or 60 or 80,000, I'm not, I'm not dictating to you how much your lifestyle needs to cost. But what I am saying is to survive, to, you know, pay the bills, to keep the lights on, that only costs $25,000 a year. And you're making significantly more than that. What you've baked into the equation is flexibility. And it gives you so much more control over your day-to-day choices. Yeah. Well, and I think what's so interesting about your your decision is, you know, it's one thing to talk about it. You've been talking about it for a year, but it's an entirely different thing to actually do this stuff, right? And clearly, you and Brad are both people that are actually doing it, even more so now, you know, given your announcement. But I, I think 
there's natural credibility between people when people know that the people that are telling them something are people that are actually doing it themselves. You know, you're not you're not preaching it, you're living it, and there's difference. And I think it's exciting to see the power of this being demonstrated by what you've just announced. So it, it, it really does work, and it's not rocket science. You know, you just got to be diligent. And the fact that you you can live on 30000 a year, hey, good for you. You know, that's what's opened up this opportunity for you. So, yeah, you're right. It is the stuff that you've been talking about for a year. The, the really fun part of that to me is that you're also doing it as you talk about it, and you're and we're all learning from each other as we all go through the process. But now I have a very selfish, you know, and self-serving need to start figuring out all these tax hacks for entrepreneurs. So, like, the story continues to build, and we're going to need to go deeper with it. And you're thinking, you know, now I'm just in this. Not only will it benefit our audience to find out about this stuff, but I'm getting to explore this right along with you because as we can go and explore these different retirement vehicles that the entrepreneur has access to – how to basically, and then the second generation fire conversation, how to get your kids involved in your business that you've started on the side, how to start using your business to fund, you know, Roth IRAs for your kids, that sort of thing. And then also as you try to grow your business and your brand, what does that look like? And then if you decide to break into one of these other asset classes that we've been talking about, like real estate, um, you know, what's cool is our tagline has always been experiments in financial independence. Well, guess what? We just pulled the trigger, you know, exper- this, this thing, this thing is real. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> capital, capital E, capital E. It's a real experiment. What I found like with my blog, I've been writing as I prepare for retirement. Obviously mine's a little bit more of a traditional path, but I think you're right. The content that you're going to have now going forward you're going to be searching for answers for stuff that you're facing in your real life. So it's, it's going to just naturally drive you into all these different areas that are going to be great content for years to come. So I, I'm looking forward to where this goes for you. So Fritz, I thought maybe this would be a nice gateway for us to talk a little bit about risk tolerance. And the reason I brought this up is that Sam in our Facebook group basically just questioned, he said, you know, I kind of get a little bit worried for Jonathan because as he's going through this drawdown phase, uh, he doesn't have a lot of margin built into this and he's in 100% VTSAX, which is true. Currently, I am 100% VTSAX. That is a lot of unnecessary, a lot of unnecessary risk that I don't know if he can afford to take. And so I thought this would be a, gr- I mean, it's a great point. And I thought this would be a really wonderful conversation for us to go ahead and tease out. Yeah, I think it's a valid point and and kudos to Sam to bring it up. You know, the way I look at that, I guess, Jonathan, is let's compare you versus me, right? I'm I'm 55, you're 35. I'm going to be doing more of a traditional retirement. I'm not going to be making future income. I've got to live off my investments, right? So I've got an entirely different risk profile than a 35-year-old guy who's basically starting up an entrepreneurial business who, you know, has the prospect to make money, right, income. Um, It's just not W-2 income anymore. It's now entrepreneurial income. So I would argue a little bit to Sam's point that you're not really dependent. The plan isn't that you'd be pulling money out of the VTSAX. The plan is that you'd be pulling money out of, you know, the things that you're doing to generate businesses. To me, that's an entirely different risk profile than somebody like me. That's number one. And the second thing I would point out is there's a difference, in my view, between kind of a risk tolerance and a risk capacity. Ooh, interesting. And if you think about, yeah, and if you think about what's your capacity for risk, let's look at the worst case scenario. Stock market tanks tomorrow, down 50%. We're into the worst depression ever. The market doesn't come back for 10 years. Guess what? You can go back to work. I mean, you're a professional. You've got a degree. You're you're a proven expert in the pharmacy field. You've got capacity to take risk with your investment because you're not dependent on it to live. So I think I think there's a big difference in your situation versus a traditional 
drawdown strategy. Yeah, you know, I think you, you nailed most of the points. If I were going to add anything onto that, I would say it might be worth discussing for a few minutes the different profiles of people in the FI community because honestly, guys, I'm going to just tell you a little bit of secret here. It sounds like FI is, you know, at, at face value, it sounds like we're a very small subculture. In reality, it's an illusion. This this should be a massive, a massive, massive, massive community. It should encompass everybody that wants to get to the point where working is optional. And it encompasses normal retirement and it encompasses early retirement. But it also encompasses the entrepreneurial crowd. It encompasses anybody that's pursuing the equation of financial independence. It means that there are different conversations, different strokes for different folks. What it looks like is it's fun to explore all of these. And once you recognize which model a person is pursuing, which path the person is pursuing to financial independence, in many cases, that will then dictate the amount of risk, risk tolerance, and risk capacity that they can afford. And Fritz nailed it with mine. I have a very high risk capacity for for multiple factors. And let's go through those factors. One, I'm still pretty early days in terms of my earning career. The worst case scenario is if my plan doesn't work, I just go back to work, right? I mean, I can do that. I've maintained my licensures. I was kidding the other day. I wasn't really kidding, but I had been delaying doing all my CEs, but they're all done now. So I'm good to go from a licensing perspective. I can just go back to work if this plan doesn't go through. But on the flip side of that, I'm also in this entrepreneur lane where we're trying to grow something and we're trying to kind of bring in different ideas and incorporate those ideas. And I'm very optimistic about where that is heading. The other half of that is let's go ahead and just maybe contrast that with a lot of people in the FI community. I think one of the reasons Brad and I are so passionate about FI as opposed to maybe the retire early component is that that we realize more and more when you're in your 30s, it's very unlikely that you stop working and just don't do anything. I mean, these are the most productive years of your life. I can't imagine a situation in which I'm not doing anything. But what I can imagine is a storyline where we have hopefully empowered a cohort of people to find out what it is that they get excited about, what it is that they get passionate about, and build a lifestyle that allows them to do more of that. I can't imagine retiring at the age of 32 and then doing nothing for the next 30 or 40 years. But what we have said is money may not be the primary motivating factor. I think what you'll find, and I have no data to support this right now, though, is that if you can take more risk, if you have a higher risk capacity, even if money is not the primary motivating factor, you will make a surprising amount of money in your FI life, especially if that's something that you're working towards. And so you just got to keep in mind, you know, how you're tackling this game of financial independence and realize that depending on how you're approaching it, that will impact your risk tolerance. So I'm 100% VTSAX. I have no plans on changing that in the short term future, but I totally understand where you're coming from, Sam. And I think it's a great point. And if you are at a place in life where you are 100% relying on your investment portfolio, that is different. You cannot absorb as much risk. And so you're going to need to talk about those different drawdown strategies that we've discussed with Fritz, actually, on the show. Yep. So yep. well-timed, well-timed, Fritz. Yeah, well, and you know, something else that made me, as you were talking there, I think being FI and doing work that you're passionate about one of the things I've heard from people that have kind of done the fire path and, you know, they've gotten out there, they said, what's amazing is now that you're doing just things that you want to do and you have a passion to do, opportunities just develop that you don't even see coming, right? And the exciting thing about that is there are opportunities in areas that you have a passion for, and ultimately there are opportunities that more often than not, lead to generating some kind of income as well. So I think you said it well, just another thought that not only 
Is it something, you know, that could generate income, but more importantly, it's something that you have a passion for, which just makes it, that's what, that's why, that's why we pursue FI, right? Is for that, for that freedom to do those things that we love to do. So yeah, you'll, you'll be fine. I have no doubt. All right. So let's transition for a few minutes. I wanted to take advantage of having Fritz here today and just kind of in a fun way, open it up for a few minutes and give our audience a chance to kind of do an ask me anything. Uh, and so I reached out to the Facebook group and said, you know, what questions do you have for Fritz? He's going to be hanging out with us today. What sort of information could we try to extract for him? And, and Dylan brought the meaty questions. I mean, this is, this is the strong one. He said, obviously you have to ask him, how did his drone meet its untimely demise? And let me just set the stage here by saying that back in episode 43, drawdown strategy, Fritz finished the episode by saying his ultimate purchase of this year was a drone. So uh, Fritz, why don't you go ahead and tell us about it? Yeah, thanks, Dylan. Um, he's having a little bit of fun with me there, unfortunately. But uh, you know, I, I think it's kind of like that Sports Illustrated cover curse. You know, next time, next time I'm in your hot seat, I got to be careful what I say because I cursed myself. So yeah, you know, <laughs> I'm all excited. I bought this drone. I paid too much money for it. You know, I told you I was, I was having a blast. I'm excited. Well, unfortunately, um, and and there may have been some operator error involved. I'll, I'll admit, you know, these things are a little tricky to fly and. You know, I, I'm right. I actually just published a post this morning called "Living Life at the Limits," and and I'm proud to say I was living life at the at the limits, and I was I was taking the drone to a place that no drone should be taken. Right? It was down below the trees. It was going up a river. It was skimming over these rapids. I tell you what, though, Jonathan. I mean, it was beautiful, right? It was in the middle of the fall. There were colors everywhere. I was out flying this thing all day long. I'd gone through a couple battery packs. I started to get a little cocky, and I brought this <laughs> thing down. I mean, I, I drifted it down below the treetops, down to the water top in this narrow little river. I was going up this river. It was beautiful, you know, and I, and I can see the little video screens. I'm flying it. I'm getting so excited. I'm like, this is going to be the best video ever, you know. There was a tree branch hanging over the edge of the river. Oh. I mean, just instantly, it hits that thing, it's in the river, it's in 10 feet of water on the opposite shore, the water's freezing, I, I like to swim in cold water, but there's no way, you know, <laughs> the thing sinks, it's gone, and I'm still in mourning, so yeah, I, I lost my best friend, oh. I'm sick to my stomach, so yeah, thanks Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, jeez. You know, I, I see those uh, those DGI Mavic Pros at Costco yeah. when I go there. Those things are so cheap now. I can't believe it. That would have cost you $25,000 just five or six yeah. years ago. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. They've come down. I mean, I, I think I had like 600 bucks in this thing all in and, you know, I didn't go a high end. I didn't, you know, you can easily spend a thousand. Now what I did do is I bought a little cheap $200 toy drone thing to, to, to do the higher risk flying with now. And I've, I've got that to kind of keep myself satisfied until your, I can, until I can buy a nicer one. Get so your we'll drone fix in. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Okay. Well, uh, so Kimberly, uh, says the drawdown strategy podcast is definitely one of my favorites. Fritz, your blog is fantastic. Hands down my favorite. Thanks for letting us know about Freedom is Groovy, who, yes, you were the one that set us up with them, and that show was awesome, too. But she says, I would love to hear more about your prepping <laughs> preparedness. So can you speak a little bit more to that for our audience? Sure. You know, and, and somebody started one of these blog chains on this topic. And, you know, it, it's it's interesting. We actually had a, a blogging friend, Dad Dollars Debts. He's out in California. His house burned down on one of these fires, you know. So we, we've had people in our community that have actually gone through kind of a emergency type situation. In this post, you know, I wrote something about the fact that, you know, we're not preppers, but I think my title was, am I a prepper? No, but I am prepared, you know. And to me, it's the same mindset as, as kind of the FI approach. You know, you want to be in a situation where if something would happen, it's kind of like having FU money, you know. 
having a few things set aside so that if the power goes out for a couple days, you're not sweating it, right? So, you know, we, we've taken some preparations, and I think I responded back to her comment on the, on the Facebook group that we just, you know, we moved from our good cabin to our great cabin. I've been writing some articles about that. By the way, thank you for the compliments on my, on my blog, noted and appreciated. Um, <clears throat> but as part of the move to the great cabin, we had an electrician come in, and he actually put an external, he wired in an external plug where we've got a 7,500-watt generator, and we can plug this thing in and run, you know, three-quarters of our cabin if the power would go out, you know, it cost us a couple hundred bucks, right? No big deal. And then we'll have the generator for use if I want to use it down in my shed, if we want to use it when we're camping, whatever. I mean, it's kind of big, but you know, it's, it's not a huge expense and it gives us the peace of mind. We're kind of in a remote area, you know, it's, it's uh, possible we could be without power for a week. It won't affect us at all. So, you know, the whole point of, of that article and, and that whole blog chain was what are some practical steps that people can do and we were sharing a lot of really good ideas. So that's that's the latest thing we've done there. And I, I encourage people to think about it if you haven't. Yeah, and actually, I actually have that uh, generator outlet at my house as well. But I don't have a generator. I'm pretty sure you need both. So uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You can maybe try to hook up a bike, but I don't think it's going to work. No, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just keep on, keep on pedaling. Keep on pedaling. Let's see. And I got a voicemail question that I'm going to go and play for you as well. This voicemail is from the blogger that writes over at Accidental Fire. Hey, Fritz. This is the writer behind the blog, Accidental Fire. And I wanted to ask you about your move to the cabin that you made this year. Um, I assume you made the move because I read about it early in the year on your blog. I've always lived in cities. I grew up in a big city and I've always lived in urban areas. But increasingly over the years, I've become more and more of an outdoor junkie and love outdoor sports and and, um, just being in nature and the quiet and solitude. Um, So I dream of having a cabin like that one day and I wanted to see, have you noticed since you've made that move about living in a cabin in a more rural area, what have you noticed about your health, your your mental state, your stress levels? Has it been everything you've expected uh, better than you expected or maybe worse or somewhere in between? So that's my question and uh, love your blog, man. Thanks. Bye. Cool. Okay. So, you know, I got to be honest here, Jonathan. It absolutely sucks. <laughs> nobody should move to the country. Nobody should move, especially, no, especially nobody should move to Blue Ridge, Georgia. We're closing the gate. We're not letting anybody else in. It's miserable living in the country. Stay in the city. Trust me, you don't want to leave the city. Stay in the city. And that's it. Next question. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I actually heard that Denver, Colorado is getting like this massive influx of people because everybody's been raving about how amazing it is. And so now all the, all the reasons that made it so amazing, it's starting to get congested and you're, you know, having some of these kind of super urban metro traffic problems and the secret has gotten out. Yeah. We, we joke about the same thing up in the mountains and, and it is, it is an absolutely amazing lifestyle. You know, we lived in the city. I still work down in the city. So, you know, I'm in the city a couple of days a week and I'll tell you what, when I head north at the end of the week and, and I start seeing the mountains on the horizon and I start, you know, weaving up the mountain roads and it just changes your entire frame of mind. It's, there is something about the physical environment that you find yourself and how it impacts you emotionally, physically, you know, the stress, you can just literally feel it 
laying on the road behind you as you, as you drive north. And, you know, we, we've got these gorgeous trails right behind our house, just private, it's just a bunch of woods back there. And, you know, every morning, every night, I walk our four dogs back there, and it just, man, it's tranquil. You hear the birds, you know, you see the deer, you see wild turkey, you know, there's just, there's all kinds of stuff out there. And, of course, they scatter when they hear the dogs, but, you know, there's something about waking up in the morning and just being in an area. And it's not for everybody. You know, it's we, we don't have any neighbors. We're in the woods. But that tranquility and, and environment is just so soothing. It's it's I couldn't imagine living anyplace else at this point. We love it. And I got a question for you from Richmond. And he says, I'd love to hear Fritz's most unique advice to those just graduating college. And he says, Fritz, please give me something other than save money and take advantage of the time you have for it to compound. So what, what advice would you give to Richmond or maybe to someone else that's looking for that unique, powerful advice for that post-college life? Oh, well, obviously, he needs to save money and give it time to compound. So, um, no. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny. We, you know, that is such old traditional expected advice but you know talk to anybody in the fi side you know all, all your listeners all your friends that have done this it comes down to you got to spend less than you make right so i think the thing that i would encourage people probably the easiest mental trick is just pretend you're still in college you know pretend you're still a broke college kid keep that old car you know drive that car i know you got a job you got big money now but you know what drive that old college beater for another two years and save the cash in advance before you buy your next car you know challenge yourself to continue to live as if you're a broke college kid until you've got your student loans paid off and until you've got enough cash in hand to go out and buy your new car make that your focus for the first two or three years and just live well below your means and just start early on avoiding that lifestyle inflation and you'll get there you know which is kind of just another way of saying hey save your money and give it time to compound but i think it is important to start out on the right foot and not get caught up with that first you know lottery ticket paycheck hey you know i'm making big money now no you're not you still got the student loans and you still got to buy that new car or, you know a replacement car Make those short-term goals the highest priority and continue to just minimize your lifestyle and push that money towards those earliest goals you can identify and get yourself started on the right habits. Awesome. Well, I'd be very interested to get your feedback. We got a couple of voicemails that we're going to play today. We're going to do one voicemail from Jesse featuring a college hack and then another one from Francis featuring a career hack. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. So I'm going to go ahead and play this voicemail that we got from Jesse. Hey guys, this is Jesse from North Carolina. Um, I wanted to call in because one thing I've noticed in the uh, FI community is a focus on education hacking in terms of undergraduate degrees, but I think there's a huge space to fill in talking about graduate degrees, specifically PhDs. So my story is I got a PhD in organizational psychology um, within four years after college. So I had a PhD at, at the uh, ripe old age of 25. And not only did I not take on any debt, but the school actually paid me to be a student. So I had an assistantship each year. I was either a research assistant or a teaching assistant, and that covered my tuition fees, et cetera. Um, and they also provided me with health care. And if you did some consulting, as a friend of mine did on the side, he actually made money in graduate school. So folks graduating with PhDs in my field now probably start around six figures. I started in the upper five figures a decade ago. Um, and this is one of the best kept secrets. I mean, where else can you get paid to be a student and leave with good job prospects for a high paying job? Uh, you can get a job in virtually any part of the country and a lot of virtual jobs now. Uh, medical doctors can make a lot more money, but they also take on a lot of debt and are in school a lot longer. So anyway, it's just something for you guys to consider. Thanks a lot. 
I love this. Yeah, yeah, he totally is. You know, it's so amazing how many just these narrow lanes that people have found. And like you said, they're crushing it, right? I mean, this is just... And the problem is you don't find out about this stuff until it's too late for for you to use it in many cases. But if we can foster this dialogue and make this community larger, we all can benefit from this. And if not us directly, you know, your kids can benefit from this or that friend that you has that's a couple years behind you can benefit from this. And when you have enough of these little life hacks stacked on top of each other, the aggregation just changes everything. Yeah. And, you know, I think the college hack is a really important area to to look at and get get it, as you said, the people when they are still able to put it to good use because it is so hard to, to be, you know, coming out of college, $40,000 in debt with student loans, struggling to get a $40,000 a year job. I mean, it's just, you're starting off on the wrong foot, you know? So I think to give yourself a chance to really be successful in an FI lifestyle, I think focusing on trying to find these interesting solutions to, you know, to hack college is an area that we should spend some time because clearly the way that it, the traditional path is not the optimal way to do it. And we're all about optimization. And it sounds like he's he's found a nice little optimization path there for a PhD. I think the same type of thinking needs to apply to undergrad. You know, get your college, you know, your basic courses done at a, at a community college before you, you know, go off to the, to the state university or whatever, right? I, I think that's got to be a, a more important part of, of people's lives than just kind of accepting the norm and just starting down a lane without thinking through the implications of it. And we had, uh, there was one more comment that was left and this was from Ben. And he says, one thing I don't feel like I've heard Brad and Jonathan mention on the show is the power of CLEP testing. And we're not going to really talk about this today, except to say that Ben, it is totally on my radar and I have a full episode planned. I'm just waiting to find the right guests that can really, you know, talk about this intelligently. And a millionaire educator has written some good posts on it. And there's a couple other people in mind that I plan on reaching out to next year. But for the people in our audience that haven't heard about this, CLEP testing can be the holy grail of college hacking. And basically, you can go and you can take a single test and test out of an entire class. And imagine how much kind of filler content is baked into the undergraduate system if you could just take a single test and get and just be done with it, that blows my mind. And so we're going to explore this a little bit further. But from what I've seen, there is a way to get a three-year degree in probably less than six months if you can learn how to you know, sy- turn this into a system and you have a plan that you can follow. So uh, it's all about finding someone mm-hmm. that can help walk us through this. But I just wanted to let you know, Ben, I love that you're mentioning it. I think club testing is going to be a huge part of college hacking, especially when you stack that on to what uh, maybe Fritz was talking about with taking advantage of your community colleges where they apply. And then with what Jesse was just sharing with how you can go about hacking your, you know, your graduate college. There's so much inefficiency baked into the system, which for the FI community means it's ripe for opportunity for someone that's looking for it. So hopefully we'll get a chance to explore that. I'll tell you a thought I had, Jonathan, when you when you talk through that. I mean, you know, we've got an entrepreneurial audience, right? I mean, a lot of these people are doing similar to what you're doing. Hey, I want to do what I want to do. Talk about an entrepreneurial opportunity. If somebody could figure out a way to optimize that and offer a course where, look, for, you know, 50 bucks, take my course and I'll get you through – I don't know, Algebra 101, you know, whatever the courses are that you can clep out of. Somebody could hack that, make a course, sell the course for a hundred bucks and and get people to where they could pass these things and just do it online from home while you're still in high school. Can you imagine? There's an opportunity there. And, you know, you create a course, talk about a scalable content. You could get a hundred thousand people taking this thing at a hundred bucks a pop. There you go. Right. I mean, if that is legitimate, 
and nobody's really jumping on that yet, there's an opportunity there for somebody that, that takes the initiative. I'm sure of it. I love it. Someone's going to do it after this show. I guarantee you next week, so. the domain I name Clep Out, Clep Out, it's going to be gone next week. I guarantee <laughs> it. In fact, I'm so convinced that I'm going to go ahead and title this episode Clep Out. And uh, <laughs> we didn't even talk about the clip, but for like 30 seconds, but that's clearly the title of the show. <laughs> All right. I have a career hack that I think we'll just finish this up with. So we've done a little bit of college hacking. Let's talk about career hacking. And this is a career in profile. And this is from Francis. Brad and Jonathan, first and foremost, thank you to all the bloggers and podcasters in the collective FI community. I'm following up on your request for input regarding another career choice for the FI community to consider. I'd like you to consider field technical sales. There's a high demand for technical salespeople in just about every field, software, hardware, network security, and in my field, scientific equipment, reagents, and chemicals. I have a bachelor's degree in chemistry, and after working two and a half years in a pharmaceutical company lab, I transitioned into a product specialist role, supporting field sales reps. 18 months later, I made the leap into technical sales. Field sales is assigned to sales territory. In my industry, the sales reps work remotely out of their home offices and travel within a territory to call on their customers. There is an opportunity of base pay and a quarterly commission based on your sales. On top of a lucrative compensation plan for performance, business travel expenses are covered as well as a company car. For 20 years, I had a company car and I received a new company car every two and a half years. Also covering the company car benefit is fuel, maintenance, and insurance. Some companies don't have the company car policy and will provide a monthly auto allowance between $500 and $800 per month, plus business mileage. The latter case allows you to select any car you want, as long as it runs and looks like new. Today, I have a field marketing position and provides a monthly car allowance. Also included in a field position are expenses for home office supplies, internet reimbursement, and a company-issued phone. Being in the field is like running your own business. You set your travel schedule and appointments and help people solve their problems with products and solutions that you have. Of course, one has to perform to hit sales targets and growth targets. Sales can be the highest-paying job or the lowest-paying job. The choice is yours. If you're motivated to help other people, know your products, and learn how to ask questions and deliver on commitments, then a sales job should be a consideration. Starting salary for someone with sought-after technical skills is between fifty dollars and $70,000 per year. Commission plans are roughly 1% to 2% of your sales target. The company car alone is worth $10,000 to your package. An experienced sales rep makes well over $150,000 a year consistently. Depending on where you live, there could be overnight travel. In the Midwest, yep, guaranteed. However, you're being paid to travel. So here's the rub for me when I decide to step off the hamster wheel. Since I have a field sales and marketing job, my expenses would actually increase when I decide to pull the trigger on the retirement side of FI. Gone will be the car allowance, internet and iPhone plans, and the combined business travel and vacation trips. And of course, a W-2 and the benefits. I have an awesome job, great products to sell in the pharmaceutical and biotech industry, tons of flexibility, and I still enjoy it 70% of the time. So again, thank you for allowing me to make this contribution. I love your podcast, love your guests, and I especially like hearing all their stories. So keep up the good work and uh, look forward to hearing from you. 
Thank you so much, Francis, for this contribution. And just for our audience, if you want to reach out to him, because maybe you're interested in finding out more about this particular career field, uh, Francis writes over at fromthebachrow.com, and there'll be a link to that in the show notes. But I mean, what I love, what I love, Fritz, is highlighting these different career options. And basically, in my mind, going into going into college, there was just STEM jobs and then there was the police and fire department. Now that's my own, you know, limitations and biases. Cause that's what my friends were doing. But I honestly, there was no one in my life that was telling me all of the different career options that were possible and the different income salaries that were possible. And then what that first step would be if you wanted to pursue one of those fields. And suddenly we're finding ourselves in this portal, this lane where everybody is willing to share what works for them. And you know, we can all benefit from this information. Yeah. And people probably don't think a lot about jobs with company cars. You know, I had a company car. I was in sales, ironically, earlier in my career. And I had a company car and I had the cell phone plan. And I, you know, very similar to what he was talking about there. And I remember when I lost my company car and I had to go out and buy my first car. And it was like, oh, that kind of hurts, you know. Okay. So there are a lot of jobs where you can get some intangible benefits that you might not intuitively think about. And, uh, you know, people are hiring. I mean, there's there's jobs out there. And I think as the baby boomers you know, exit the workplace, you know, hey, Consider different fields, especially, you know, a lot of the people in the FI space, I suspect, aren't terribly happy doing what they're doing. They're doing it because they want to try to achieve a FI. They're making decent money. But, you know, another path is, hey, just try to change careers and do something different. You can still make the same progress in your journey towards FI, but you can give yourself a little bit of variety on, on, along the way and, you know, try something different. There's, I think that's, that keeps life interesting. So, yeah, interesting bit. So Fritz, I, I thought we should probably take a couple minutes and announce the most, I don't know, landscape changing announcement that happened on Monday. And yes, I, I would love to say that it was mine, but no, it really wasn't. There was something much bigger that happened on Monday. And this was the announcement that Jay Money is handing over the reins of Rockstar Finance to John over at ESI. Did you see that? Did you see that bulletin? I, I did. They're both uh, pretty good friends of mine. I know John well, and I was really happy to see it for him. I tell you, Monday was a big day. You announced your thing, and uh, and and Jay Money announced his thing, and and uh, yeah, a big announcement. I really liked the way that Jay talked about the process he went through as he was thinking about, you know, what's important in his life. He's got a baby on the way, number three. He wants to commit more time to his kids. You know, his, his thought process and the way that he chose John as the guy to take it over, I thought was a really good example of exactly what the whole FI thing is about, right? You have the freedom to make the choices that you want to make, and he's making that choice. So I think it's a great development. Sorry to see him leave Rockstar. He's still going to be around, you know, for a while, but yeah, really, really big news. I agree. That probably, hate to tell you, that probably did surpass your announcement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. I, I would say I, I agree. I agree. But, you know, I think it would be really cool. I'd love to take just a couple minutes and reintroduce ESI to maybe the larger FI community for those that aren't familiar with his body of work. I mean, Rockstar Finance is kind of like a pillar of this community. It might even be considered the crown gem of this community. It's a curation website that features the best articles each week from the personal finance community. And ESI has been writing at least for the last several years over at ESI. And I think he had another blog that he was doing before that. But I wanted to take just a few minutes and talk about both of those websites. I guess to start, ESI stands for Earn, Save, Invest. And it, it John's focus over at that website is to create a blog that's about achieving financial independence, 
through earning, saving, and investing. And to speak a little bit about John, uh, he's an early 50s retiree, so Fritz, you should be able to identify, uh, who achieved, he achieved financial independence and he's sharing kind of what's working for them and details how others can implement those successes in their lives. He features a very popular series called the Millionaire Interview Series. We also had him on the podcast on this show in episode 23, talking about career hacking and he's in our Facebook group. And I know for a fact, I mean, he so selflessly gives of his time uh, offering people that are looking for how do I take my career? Cause I'm the lane I've decided to, to follow is to just completely bump up my earning track record. You know, what is that next move when you're looking at career hacking and you're looking at career growth and he has so much input. And so he has a proven record of being able to give good information. Uh, just his site alone it's basically documenting someone who has established a level of wealth and he's talking about what he's actually done to get there. Uh, his finances are extremely organized. He's living off the income from his investments and he's not having to spend a penny of invested assets. And he's talking about that. So I think that's what you guys call a fat fire. But uh, I just, for our audience, I, I, I'm going to include a couple links in the show notes that I think you should check out. I think that ESI has been really a figure in this community for a while, and I guarantee you going into next year, that's about to 10X. So uh, really excited to, to be able to talk about this just for a few minutes on the show, and I'd love to get your input as well, Fritz. Yeah, you know, you're spot on with, with uh, ESI's background. He, he's been blogging, I think, 11 years total. He's actually been around longer than uh, Jay Money, which is, you know, astounding in the, in the blogging community. So, yeah, he's, he's a long-termer and uh, long-timer, and, and he's not doing this, you know, for the financial side of it. He's doing it as a passion project because he really – he does believe in – trying to share exactly what Rockstar does, share the good work that others in the community are doing. You know, he's busy on the Rockstar forum as well. And one of the things he's done is, you know, proactively, he's always been a guy who says, hey, you know, send me some of your good articles. I'll, I'll put them out on my Twitter feed. I got, you know, however many thousand followers. And, and just, you know, for no reason other than just being generous, right? He, he really does like to promote the work of other people. And I think he has the best intentions in this. So I think he's a really good fit for it. it it'll be interesting to see where it goes. All right. So to both Jay Money, congratulations on the announcement on having a new baby on the way. And to ESI, congratulations on becoming the new face of Rockstar. I mean, we're, we're excited for you and what it means for the personal finance and the FI community. So uh, welcome to the team. And so, yeah, maybe we just have a couple more voicemails and things that we wanted to talk about in this episode. I thought the next thing that we could go ahead and do is take a few minutes and have a voicemail that I want to play from Felissa talking about a very solid reason not to buy and hold company stock. Hey, Brad and Jonathan, it's Felissa. And I wanted to give you the one thing that I did this week to make my life more efficient. I actually transferred some old company stock to Vanguard this week. And when I called the representative to make the transfer, he asked me how many shares of stock that I had. I told him 20 shares of stock, and then he asked me for the approximate value, and I said $30. And he said, per share? And I said, nope, total. And he started to choke up and laugh. I laughed along with him and told him that I needed to sell the stock so I could claim the tax loss. This is a good lesson on why you should not buy and hold company stock. I actually bought this stock when I was a pharmaceutical sales rep back in 1999 for about $3,400. They had a reverse five-for-one split, so my 100 shares went down to 20 shares. And when it finally sold, I made a grand total of $30.22. Have a great day. 
Oh, that man, just that brutal? <laughs> yeah. oh, oh, man. And we shouldn't laugh, right? But that's just, that's brutal. Hey, you know, sometimes you just swing and you miss. I don't know what to say on that. Yeah. Well, I think you know, there, I think I, there I, is I, something I, there. Yeah. Well, and one of the things I say, you know, I've gotten company stock options all through my career and things like that. And, you know, I have never, I have never kept them. As soon as I can liquidate them, I liquidate them, you know, because, my whole philosophy and what, what I've read others have said, you know, your, your income's already dependent on your company. All your benefits are dependent on your company. Get your investments away from being dependent on the company, right? You've already got too much in that basket. And, and there you go. That's, I guess, one example of, of, you know, when a company goes bad, look at the Enron people, right? You lose your job, you lose your income, you lose your benefits, and you lose all the equity that, you're, that you've held in the stock. Could not agree more. That's exactly what I was thinking. You're already all in on that hand. You're already getting your income from this particular entity. Get your retirement vehicles out of there. Get your stock options out of there as soon as you can liquidate. Now, I will say the nuance to that is that we have had some people on the show discuss employee stock purchase programs where your employer may incentivize you to purchase company stock by giving you a 10 or 15% discount. And there is a way to win there. That is a little bit different than what we're talking about. And in that case, maybe you're taking advantage of this employer incentivized purchase. You're purchasing it at a discount. You're holding it for the minimum amount of time necessary. And then you're selling it and moving it out of the market into the market as soon as it's viable. You know, that makes sense. It may be a little bit of work. You know, you may have to jump through some hoops, but uh, financially, you know, you could potentially, if you're making a six figure salary, be looking at giving yourself a two to $3,000 raise by you know, manipulating that a little bit, but buy and hold company stock to me does not seem like a very safe, uh, long-term strategy. No. And, and your, your point about, you know, if you can buy it cheap through a company purchase plan, obviously, yeah, take advantage of the arbitrage, but, but your, the point you said was get rid of it as soon as you can. A lot of them have like a one year retention clause, whatever. Okay, fine. But as soon as you get that date, put it on your calendar and, and know when you can sell it and, and just sell it. You're right now, you know, even there, it's not guaranteed, right? If the stock goes down below the price that you were subsidized to buy it at, you know, it's not risk free. But clearly, you you know, especially if you can turn around and sell it at market price, then obviously do it all day long. You know, it's yeah. a no brainer. Yep. Yeah. And then I think maybe this would be I, I would love to insert one tiny little correction in here from the episode that we did last week. And it's not so much of a correction as an obvious thing that people in our community should be considering. And we talked about last year, we talked about the end of the year checklist, and we kind of gave you some general financial advice on things to consider. One thing I wanted to add to this And Christine actually mentioned this in the Facebook group, and she said, I'm so excited about the huge tax planning move I made on Friday. I was able to harvest over $12,000 in capital gains completely tax-free. This is going to save us over $1,800 in capital gains tax. And she used the logic that was laid out in episode 18 and 18R, which was the interview with Go Curry Cracker. Just to highlight this, since she and her husband are in the 15% marginal tax bracket, it means that they are going to pay $0 on taxes on all the dividends and capital gains. This is by far the biggest tax move that she has ever made, and she recommends that lower income earners and investors check out those earlier episodes. And I completely agree, and what I wanted to add on to that is that we did not mention this in our end-of-year checklist. And to our community, this is a massive move that you really need to be considering because if you're in these in the 15% marginal tax bracket, which could be relatively easy, especially if you're maxing out all your pre-tax buckets, then that means that you can realize a significant amount of capital gains each and every year. And you should be doing that, right, Fritz? Absolutely. I'll tell you something else, too, that, that a lot of people are doing right now and made me think about that. Let's say you're $5,000 over the threshold to be at the 15% tax hurdle. 
One of the things you could also do, and a lot of people are doing this right now because of the tax law changes, you could open a donor advised fund. This sounds technical, but it's not. I did it in like five minutes on Vanguard. It's very easy to do Vanguard Fatality. Others do it. What you can do is you can front load your charitable donations from appreciated stock, by the way into these donor-advised funds, you get the tax write-off this year because you put it into the fund this year. So if you're a couple thousand dollars over that 15% threshold, consider a donor-advised fund to get yourself down to that 15%. I'm not a tax expert, but my suspicion is that would get you to where you could you could enjoy the benefit on the capital gains as well. I love it. That's a great tip. Way to upgrade that, Fritz. There we go. All right, guys. Well, unfortunately, that is going to bring this episode to a close. Now, as usual, we like to finish every episode by doing a drawing for a copy of a book that we have found useful. We have two books that we do. We have uh, J.L. Collins' book, The Simple Path to Wealth, and we have Dominic Cortuccio's book, Design Your Future. Uh, We also have the Choose FI official t-shirt. So if you'd rather have a t-shirt instead, that is absolutely a possibility. But what we do... If you want to enter this drawing, all you need to do, just go to chooseify.com slash iTunes, follow the written instructions there, uh, leave us a short written review, and then send us an email to feedback at chooseify.com, letting us know that you left a review and what screen name you left it under. And then every Friday on the Friday Roundup, we announce the winners and we do one book or t-shirt for every five written reviews that we get. Today, we have one winner, and this is from Matt. And Matt says, inspiring, life-changing. I discovered fire through Choose FI, and I appreciate how seamlessly Jonathan and Brad and Fritz weave together the leaders of the FI community. And while I have not walked the path to FI until now, I have always lived with many of these concepts. Now I finally have guidance from those who live this life. I cannot thank you both enough for putting my family and me on the path to financial independence. And Matt, I feel the same way. Guys, you're in a community that has found a superpower that allows you to live a life that you can get excited about in the best years of your life, not the last years of your life. And that's a community that I want to be a part of. Yeah, you know, interesting comment. What I was thinking about as he was saying that, even more profound that he was writing that at at about the time you were getting ready to make your announcement about taking the big step, right? I mean, you are changing lives and you are giving people the freedom and you're doing it in your own life. So again, back to the the big announcement um, this week, you know, congratulations on the step you're taking. It was an honor to be able to uh, be here and talk through it with you. Sorry, Brad's on vacation, but I really enjoyed being able to fill in. And, and I'm really sincerely happy for both of you guys for, you know, for what Choose of is becoming and for how it's impacting your life. So uh, I look forward to, to 2018 and, and what the future holds for you and, and everybody in the community. So that, that's it. Thanks again for the honor to be on your show today. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming on, Fritz. Matt, thank you so much for that review. You know, this community has been life-changing for me as well. So I completely agree. All right, my friends, the fire is spreading. We'll see you next time as we continue to go down the road less traveled. You've been listening to Choose FI Radio Podcast, where we help middle-class America build wealth one life hack at a time.